This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Ariana Cordova. And I'm Brad Lewis. We want to remind you that this program broadcast from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. Tonight, we have two exciting interviews to share with you. We hear from community organizer Yitzel Irena Aguilar and canvasser Isabel Jurado Herrera with the Chainbreaker Collective. Chainbreaker is part of the Better Together Coalition, which focuses on vaccine equity in New Mexico. Andrew Cita Avela, the former director and co-director of the South Valley Dio de los Muertos Marigold Parade and Celebration. Tell us about the history of the parade, its organization, and beautiful memories of the celebration. We also bring you vaccine equity testimonies on why we got vaccinated. In our community calendar, we'll share events happening here in the state of New Mexico. That's right. We're excited to bring you all of this great information. Here is the song, Them Belly Full by Bob Marley. This is one of the songs chosen by our guests, Yetzal Irena Aguilar and Isabel Jurado Herrera. Chainbreaker Collective is an economic and environmental justice organization that works to expand access to affordable transportation and support sustainable communities for low-income people in the northern New Mexican area. Tonight, we hear from community organizer Yetzeli Reina Aguilar and canvasser Isabel Muraro Herrera with the Chainbreaker Collective, who tell us about their mission, community organizing, and their vaccine equity work as part of the Better Together Coalition. GJ Leader for Change fellow Elijah Cage speaks with our guests Yetzali Reina Aguilar and Isabel Jurado Herrera. This is Elijah Cage with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with community organizer Yetzali Reina Aguilar and Isabella Jurado Herrera, a canvasser with the Chainbreaker Collective. Yetzali and Isabel, welcome to Generation Justice. May you please tell us more about yourself? Yetzali, we can start with yourself. Hi everyone, my name is Itzali Reina I um, live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I work with Chainbreaker Collective. I have been working with them for over two years. I started canvassing during the pandemic, and now I'm a community organizer, and now we're organizing um, with housing and also to um, expand access to affordable transportation, and I will pass it to Isabel. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Isabel. I'm a canvasser with Chainbreaker Collective. Um, I've been a part of them around three to four years. Uh, it's pretty temporary work, so it depends on what we're focusing on, but we mainly focus on bringing information 
to people's houses uh, at their door about um, things that are going on in the city, any sort of uh, support for rent or bill help. Um, we previously did uh, information for the vaccination events that were being hosted uh, by various organizations, um, but I'm pretty excited to be here. Thank you both for being here and um, for allowing us to interview both the both of you. Can you tell us about the mission of the Chainbreaker Collective? Yeah, sure. So the Chainbreaker Collective is an environmental and economic justice uh, nonprofit organization that works to expand access uh, to the resources like affordable transportation and sustainable communities. And since 2004, Chainbreaker has been getting to know Santa Fe residents, getting folks involved and informed about transit and housing issues. Before we started this interview, um, I had read a little guy uh, about Chainbreaker, and I seen um, about some vaccine equity work that uh, you guys um, have been involved in. And I would love to learn about Chainbreaker's vaccine equity work as a part of the Better Together initiative. Um, well, in 2021, uh, when the COVID vaccinations were first available to the community, uh, we joined hands uh, with other communities such as uh, La Familia Medical Center, the Department of Health, and the Santa Fe um, Library. Uh, we joined efforts with them uh, since we were already knocking on doors of this community that they were trying to get uh, vaccinated. Uh, we received information about the vaccines and we would go door to door, um, letting them know what was going on. Uh, we let them know places and times that vaccination drives would happen. Um, we let them know that there was no cost to them. That was a pretty big uh, fear in the beginning. A lot of people in these communities don't particularly have the money to be able to pay for vaccinations. And we let them know that there wasn't any risk of, you know, there being any sort of um, detainment. There was no sort of checking your citizenship status. Can you tell us more about the rental assistance and housing support that Chainbreaker offers? So the city of Santa Fe approved a, an, an eviction prevention fund for this year and next year. And this fund is $1 million that will be available for renters who are um, uh, not only struggling with eviction, but also if they maybe feel, um, fall behind on rent payments during the pandemic, then they still can recover from that. And uh, it's pretty easy for the residents of the city and county of Santa Fe to apply. So you can call 211. We'll also go into the Connect City of Santa Fe website and you can self-refer through there. Uh, you can also come to one of our renters clinics, um, learn how to apply for the eviction prevention fund and also create a community with your neighbors, uh, join a renters committee and also just know more about your uh, rights as a renter. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, you know, the COVID really affected a lot of people and I think the work that you guys are doing uh, to help those in need is amazing. Um, and just the impact that you are making uh, in other people's lives as well. Um, what do you wish more people knew about the housing crisis in New Mexico 
especially after the pandemic? Before the pandemic, there was already a housing crisis here in Santa Fe. Uh, the rents only rose by 40% in 2020 to 2021. And we are seeing it um, way worsen by the pandemic and people are still recovering from that. And if they got a loan, maybe, or if they uh, had emergency care during the pandemic, then that still is a debt that they have. I also wanted to add that um, a lot of people are still getting sick with COVID. So it's not as if it has gone away. There's still people being burdened by the fact that they have to take at least a week off of work. And that is um, money that would have gone to rent or bills that now has been completely lost. So um, having these sort of assistances that can still help people that uh, fell sick um, helps a lot uh, of families keep their homes, especially since the people that get sick are people that you know are elderly, people that have multiple jobs. Um, it really is those people that can't afford to not have the money for next month. Oh, thank you so much for that, Isabel. I'm glad you emphasized that COVID isn't hasn't disappeared. It is, you know, still people people are still getting affected by COVID um, as we speak right now. And I'd like to ask a question to both Isabel, you, and Yetzali. Um, why is vaccine equity important in New Mexico? Vaccine equity, it's really important as we are talking about uh, the as the census puts it, the difficult to reach populations. And we want to reach those uh, people that are mostly our members and they're mostly low income people of color. So we definitely want uh, them to have the same access to the resources as everybody else. And then uh, for me, I think in terms of equity, uh, you know, New Mexico is a majority minority state and most of that is of the uh, Hispanic or Latino uh, community. So in terms of equity, I think what was really important for us um, with example of what we did uh, in 2021 was being able to just speak to them person to person. Um, a lot of the communities we were or uh, neighborhoods we were going into had a, a majority Spanish speaking population and they were um, a little bit older, maybe not older, but you know, in 30s, 40s. And although the city and the state does a good job at translating documents into Spanish, there's a very big difference between reading it and having somebody tell you um, what's going on uh, on vaccinations and events and things like that. So in terms of equity, I think having someone they can actually look at um, telling them just what's going on and which vaccinations they should um, other than a provider that they might not be able to see in the first place because of their economic situation is the best way we can get more equity between the different uh, populations in Santa Fe and New Mexico as a whole. Thank you both for explaining why vaccine equity is important in New Mexico. For those that are interested in finding more information on Chainbreaker, um, where can people um, go to find more information? So you can reach Chainbreaker Collective in all of our social media at Chainbreaker SF. Uh, we're on Facebook, we're on um, uh, Instagram. You can also call us directly to our eviction prevention hotline. Um, it's 
5481. And you can also go online to um, www.chainbreaker.org. And you can also just go by one of our offices at 5th Street. And you're also welcome to come by to our next renter's clinic on November 26th. That will be also be at 1 p.m. And that's going to be at our offices in 1515 5th Street here in Santa Fe. And you can also just call us um, before if you have any questions at 505-577-5481 or go to our website, uh, chainbreaker.org. Thank you both for being here today. Is there anything else that you would like to add or share? Well, uh, thank you for having us here. We're also super excited to always talk about what work we're doing and um, also talk about more of the vaccine equity uh, work we have done and also to invite renters to general renters committee and also to come by and just learn more about your rights and advocate for renters rights. Is there anything else that you would like to say as a bill? Just to keep an eye out for um, any more help that Chain Breaker can provide. Um, but yeah, just uh, keep an eye out uh, for our organization. We um, regularly uh, collaborate with people or with other organizations to get word out to uh, Santa Fe, um, people of Santa Fe. Um, we're also going to have a pretty big event. We call it our uh, Pozolada. It's pretty much a big party um, December 11th at um, 1519 Fifth Street. Uh, we're going to have, obviously, Pozole, um, some entertainment as well, just to make another uh, community event. Thank you so much, uh, Yetzali Reina Aguilar and Isabel Curavo Herrera for coming today and sharing with us um, uh, who you are. Uh, for Generation Justice, I'm Elijah Cage. Goodbye. Thank you, Yetzeli and Isabel, for informing the public and all the great resources that Chainbreaker Collective provides, bringing information to your front door. Thank you, Yetzeli and Isabel, for highlighting the pre-existing housing crisis before the pandemic. It's important to note that the crisis wasn't created by the pandemic, but instead made worse by it. I hadn't realized that before, so thank you for the context and further information. Coming up next is another song chosen by our guests, Yetzeli and Isabel. Here is Give Me the Power by Molotov. Te está extorsionando Dinero. Pero ellos viven de lo que tú estás pagando Y si te tratan como a un delincuente Ladrón. No es tu culpa Dale gracias al regente Hay que arrancar el problema de raíz uh -huh. Y cambiar al gobierno de nuestro país A la gente que está en la burocracia A esa gente que le gustan las migajas Yo por eso me quejo y... Día de los Muertos is a day of honoring and celebrating the loved ones that you have lost and those who are no longer with us. Tonight, we speak with Rusita Avela. Rusita was the director and co-director of the South Valley Dio de los Muertos Marigold Parade and celebration for 16 years from 1999 to 2015. Rusita also taught a class at the University of New Mexico about the history of Dio de los Muertos. 
She was also a speaker for the UNM Curanderismo course about Dia de los Muertos, grief, and loss. Lucita, tell us about the Dio de los Muertos, Marigold Parade, and celebration, how she's been involved, and how it has evolved. Here is Generation Justice's associate producer, Barbara Ramirez, speaking with Lucita Avila. This is Barbara Ramirez with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Rosita Avila, a multi-generational New Mexican, the bilingual school social worker, mental health clinician at Tierra Dentro of New Mexico since 2015. Rosita was the director and co-director of the South Valley, Dia de los Muertos, Marigold Parade and Celebration for 16 years, from 1999 to 2015. She also taught at UNM Honors Program, Art and History of Dia de los Muertos. Rosita, welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Please tell us more about yourself. So I want to just say in terms of the Dia de los Muertos event, the South Valley uh, Marigold Parade and Celebration is kind of where I plugged in. And I've been a community organizer. I started with La Razonida. I would uh, benefit from this parade. This parade's event started in 1991 with the Radamuri Center and Sandra and Jorge Castro. They were the ones who were the founders of it and, and were, were my mentors. So I would go to the event and I would enjoy it. And then I would I would recruit people because I've always been somebody to plug people in like a connector. Um, so I would bring people to volunteer and all of those things. But I kind of, I didn't. Those first eight years, I wasn't doing any work. I was just having a good time. When Sandra and Jorge said that they were going to move, I was like, no way, we can't lose this tradition uh, of this event um, that you know that they really you know created the foundation for so then I went uh, back to to my my group which was La Razonida and there was another artist that had been working with them uh, Cassandra Reed and we went to our respective organizations and said hey we want to take on this project and we got the okay from both organizations so then it transitioned to La Razonida and Cambio as being the co-sponsors of the event. So it was important for me because it was just so, it was so festive at different levels of how to engage. I remember one of the years, because I was working at Memorial Psych Hospital, which doesn't exist anymore, and I was running a grief and loss group. And we were able to take those kiddos on field trips here and there. So I was like, this is going to be part of the grief and loss group. I'm going to take you guys to this event. You're going to see how it's celebrated and how this can be another way to heal from, from a loss. And uh, so then they learned about it, um, you know, and at that time it was so, it was so much smaller. And so they went, we went and saw the altars and just, that were there at the center and then we were in the parade itself so it was it was a great way to end that group and close that group in a therapeutic way but also connection to the community I would say as a clinician a social worker I've been in a traditional healer I've been dealing with death since I was young when my dad died when I was seven and so I've I've had that connection but growing up we didn't really celebrate Dia de los Muertos I'm from from Albuquerque um we're 
raised Catholic. And so we did, um, you know, All Saints Day, All Souls Day. There's just a history uh, in New Mexico about back when New Mexico was trying to become a state and how we had to show that that there weren't as many brown people. And so there was this kind of whitewashing that happened where people just kind of uh, said that they were Spanish, which was Hispanic, and killed the the indigenous in us by on numbers on paper. But that wasn't the reality. But that's, I mean, that's why New Mexico became a state so late. So with that, anything that's indigenous and, uh, you know, and, and New Mexico was Mexico and also, you know, very in, in Mexica and also all these tribes, all these different tribes that still exist, uh, the Pueblos. And so we have, uh, you know, we have lots of mixture here. And um, so for me, I was very much uh, about reclaiming my Chicanidad and Mexicanidad and Mexica and indigenous. So uh, reclaiming Dia de los Muertos and learning more about it was like, this makes sense to me. This makes sense. And it was hidden, you know, that's what we did as indigenous people. We hid our traditions into Catholicism. So there were places where we were able to keep the tradition alive um so anyways um it was great to to learn more about it and how people celebrate and what they do and and it just resonated even though i wasn't like raised to celebrate dia los muertos uh specifically it made sense to me to reclaim it Thank you so much for sharing more about that and for connecting the dots uh, for me and for the listeners. You already mentioned this, but tell us a little bit more about the history of Dia de los Muertos and why it's so central to New Mexico history. Um, so Dia de los Muertos, um, Day of the Dead, is a celebration of those people that we loved those animals too that we love that are in the spirit world dia de los muertos is a time that we celebrate their being with us again so that's the idea they're they're here for those days the spirit those from the spirit world come back to and we're all together and we get to celebrate uh and be together and it's for a short period of time in the mashika tradition the Aztec tradition, we actually have a ceremonia where we call them and it's private. You have to be invited, all of those things, but we are, we're actually calling them. A lot of, a lot of what, what was done with the South Valley Dios Muertos parade and celebration was more about the artistic presentation of the culture. So it was never a spiritual, wasn't supposed to be a spiritual thing. There was no ceremony being done uh, because that's too, it was too huge, too, too many people to hold that kind of space. So anyways, um, it is, it's a time of celebration. It's a time uh, to remember those who've passed. And we do that through having an altar where we put pictures of the person, our loved one, what what were some of those things that they loved in life, um, like whether it was art or playing music or maybe even drinking alcohol and smoking. We might have that on the altar. 
oftentimes too we would put um like a plate there with their favorite foods in the and so it's symbolic so that you know the spirits come and then they get to feast in that way my understanding that is in mexico uh, in the cemeteries, that's where people congregate as well. Here in the U.S., we have caretakers for the cemeteries. We're not as connected to them, whereas in different places in Mexico, the community takes care of the cemetery. So they go and clean it and that kind of stuff. I've never been to to that, but I that part of the celebration, but I, I think it would be very beautiful. I mean, I've seen movies and that kind of stuff, videos of it. And it just seems like such a great way to bring people together in community and eat and have music and, you know, and then you're honoring the person in that because that's what, because that's what the cemetery is. It's a symbolic where, you know, the bones or whatever are or the ashes possibly, but the person is not there anymore. Their spirit is, is in the spiritual world so but it's a great gathering place to centralize and bring people together bring community together thank you so much rusita to you what does this celebration mean and what are some of the practices that you do for el dia de los muertos i feel like there has been some pop culture kind of cultural appropriation that's happened and that that happens and and it's we can't control that but uh, that's what we would do for the the south valley de los muertos marigold parade and celebration we were trying to protect the cultural purity of it and the artistic value and those kinds of stuff so we would um have different things that we would do so we had a parade and that parade was huge and we would gather at the Westside Community Center and there would be musicians and artists and then there would be altars and then there was a mercado where people could sell their artwork and so that's that's still how I see it I still am involved in terms of whenever the committee will put an event, I will go and support it, but I'm not in the inner circle anymore. But I also do stuff at my house where I make an altar. I have done that like by myself, sometimes with one or two family members, like, and then we, it's very intimate where we're just sharing stories or we gather as friends and, and have like a little party. So very much smaller than a, a community event. Um, now that's what I've done, um, you know, in terms of that kind of celebration, but with the ceremonia, that's a whole other thing. It's from evening till like four or five in the morning. And it's just got so many different elements. And I, I, I mean, for me, I feel like all of it is mine, like going out, having fun, dressing like a calavera, honoring somebody or a cultural icon but um going to an event like a community event uh going to like ceremonia or at my house and doing something or somebody else's house that is smaller thank you is there anything else that you would like to add about the south valley dia de los muertos marigold parade and celebration um memories or any information or even history before we wrap up our conversation um sure most of the folks that were on the committee 
uh, had a small stipend or were completely volunteer. So they had their heart in it and they wanted to do this because it was important. And so one of the things that I had noticed was that I had noticed how much, how stressful it could be, how a lot of the times we were spending a lot of energy for the community and others and kind of putting our, our own celebration or our own intimate connection with Dia de los Muertos to the side. So one year I asked the core members who would like to do a grief and loss group because I run those. And a few, like six of us did it. And it really, really changed the dynamics. First off, we connected uh, and got to share each other's pain, share each other's stories, hold that space for each other. But also when we were at the event itself, you know, there was just a, an easier flow. It didn't feel as stressed. It felt like we could have everything and not that we didn't have to put ourselves at the back back burner. Other times we, we would do that. We would set up all that stuff and then we'd stop and we'd have somebody do an opening prayer. So like a local curandera would come and do a prayer for us just to bring us all together. And, um, and then we would always, for the event itself, we'd have Santas starting the parade and honoring it that way and leading. I do feel like even though my role was a lot of logistics behind the scenes, dealing with people, all these types of things, but because of being a traditional healer and working with folks on grief and loss issues, I feel like there was a way that that was happening too in a different way. And it was a lot because there were so many people and there's no way like even a group of us could hold the space in terms of like the spiritual part in that but there was like little pockets so like when the danzantes would after the parade then they would continue dancing in the park and people who needed to have that medicine would go over there and be with them and so it kind of they held that kind of space in that way um and I also feel like it was a big reunion I remember just seeing people that I hadn't seen in years you know um and then you know different times that I did did the event we would always have different themes for it something for us to focus on um and I would like different things in my life were happening and it was like what's going on now and who am I representing and that kind of thing and I I really it is something that was like that event itself was dear to my heart and I feel like I had great mentors and I was able to teach my nieces and nephews, uh, mentor them so that they could carry on that tradition. But I'm also glad to be on the kind of on the outside of it because of COVID and stuff, things shut down. And last year was like their revival of it, I guess. And it was so much smaller scale. Well, last year I was with the danzantes and we got, and we led the parade, which has always been the thing, but it was a procession. So it was great to like reconnect after especially COVID and all of that that had happened, the shutdowns, and then be able to plug back in in a whole different way. So that was really nice. But I think it's such an important event. And I, I'm teaching a class now on New Mexico Highlands, Grief and Loss. And it's just like, it just fits so well, you know, when Dia Los Muertos is coming up. It's like, you know, this is the perfect time for me to teach that class. That's awesome. Rusita, where can people go to find more information about your work? 
Um, so in terms of the parade, uh, it's Muertos y Marigolds um, there on Facebook. I think they're also on Instagram and they did have a web page. Um, so that's that's the place to go for sure um, to find out more. But the best thing to do is go to Muertos y Marigolds and, and to go there to ask for information. I feel like I am all over the place. I don't, I don't have like a private practice or anything like that. So I, I mean, I do have a handle with uh, Facebook is Muertos Queen, but I'm very, you know, selective of, I mean, I teach for New Mexico Highlands. So if, if anybody wants to be a social worker, great. I think we need so many social workers and I could probably be your professor. I don't know. I go to community events. I go to the UNM Curanderismo class and I do stuff there. I do stuff with Sacred Springs, Reiki. Um, I support Capuli Escali. So if there's traditional medicine stuff, you might find me there. Thank you so much, Rosita. <laughs> if you Google Rosita Avila, you probably find her in so many websites. Thank you so much for saying yes, Rosita. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I think one of the things that I didn't say earlier was that Dia de los Muertos, like, so there was confusion early on with, because there was a church that would be at the Westside Community Center, and they were like, you guys are are worshiping the devil and stuff, and it's like, what are you talking about? Like, so much, you know, debunking myths and misinformation, and in the U.S., death is, like, dealt with outside of the home. You, you're supposed to only take one or two days off of work, and you're not celebrating it. It's a time for mourning. You know, that's, like, the overarching way that it's handled in the U.S., and we miss out. So it's so important to remember our culture, call it back, call our ancestors back to guide us and, and also just reclaim it because it's ours. It's our birthright and we we're allowed to have it. And it's a beautiful way to be connected that, you know, this, this life, this world is, is finite, but the spiritual world is endless. Thank you so much for being here with us, Rosita. I really appreciated you saying yes and giving all this information because there's so many false narratives about it and stereotypes that it's important to get uh, factual information from your perspective because if I speak to somebody else maybe they'll say something else because it's different for every person but I also want to thank you for all the years of organizing that you've done for this important celebration and making sure that that it's done from the heart, from a place of community and, and making sure that people were taking care of each other as they did this huge event. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. I always like talking about the other Muertos and just everything. I could tell you lots of stories. We had a lot of fun stories. I wish we had more time and, and I could just hear all the stories. But thank you so much for saying yes again. For Generation Justice, I'm Barbara Ramirez. Lucita, I want to thank you for joining us and talking about the history of Dia de Muertos and the importance of reclaiming heritage in culture. I was also raised in a Catholic Chicano family and I resonated very deeply with what you shared. I think it's important to share not only our history and culture, but why it is so important to us. Thank you again. Thank you for sharing to the audience about the New Mexican history of Dia de los Muertos and the cultural teachings, learning how to heal from grief and loss. This next song is dedicated to Dia de los Muertos. Here is La Nostalgia by Julieta Vergas. Then we'll hear Anne Falestine by Teach Hickey and Owen Also Vane.
estado llorando por el lugar que tú decías nunca extrañarías de ningún modo nunca me verán vertiendo lágrimas por este lugar te veo cantando una vieja melodía una que entonaste en otra vida esto borraré de mi memoria lo arranco de mi corazón no te habías dado cuenta la nostalgia sigue ahí vive en ti escondida en tu memoria la nostalgia sigue ahí vive en ti déjala vivir porque es parte te veo tocando un recuerdo cualquier día como un tesoro que palpita Nunca imaginaste quedaría en un hueco de tu desazón. Nuevos paisajes para adornar tu pena, esa que aparece de repente. Welcome back to Generation Justice. It is time for our community calendar. Here is Luis Arredondo. I 
I am Luis Arredondo, your host for this week's community calendar. Our first event is a screening of the unreleased Belly of the Beast documentaries, Uphill on the Hill and The Hardliner on the Hudson. This event is taking place on Saturday, November 18th at 2 p.m. and is brought to you by our friends at Afromundo in partnership with the New Mexico Hispanic Cultural Center. After the screening, there will be a special Q&A by award-winning journalist and filmmaker Liz Oliva Fernandez about the two new documentaries. Liz Oliva Fernandez, originally from Cuba, is a Gracie award-winning journalist, a feminist, and anti-racist activist. The two documentaries that will be screened explore and expose what's driving Cuba's policy under President Biden. For more information about this event, please visit the National Hispanic Cultural Center at nhccnm.org. Again, that is nhccnm.org. Our next event is hosted by La Placita Institute. They are having their annual mutual aid and local community event, Hoodies for the Homeless. This event is taking place on Sunday, November 19th at La Placita Institute located at 831 Isleta Boulevard Southwest, from noon to 7 p.m. Again, the address is 831 Isleta Boulevard Southwest. All donations will go to help our unsheltered brothers and sisters in Albuquerque. Don't forget to stop by and donate hoodies. For more information, visit La Placita Institute on Facebook. That's it for our community calendar. Tune in next week for more community events and announcements. Back to our host, Brad and Adi. Thank you, Luis. Coming up next is the song, El Niagara in Bicicleta by Juan Luis Guerra, a song about the importance of health equity in Nicaragua. Me dio una sirimba un domingo en la mañana cuando menos lo pensaba. Caí redondo como una guanábana sobre la alcantarilla. ¿Será la presión o me ha subido la bilirrubina? Y me entró una calentura y me fui poniendo blanco como bola en naftalina. Me llevaron a un hospital de gente, supuestamente. En la emergencia recepcionista escuchaba la lotería. Alguien se apiada de mí, grité perdiendo el sentido. Y una enfermera se acercó a mi oreja y me dijo, tranquilo Bobby, tranquilo. Welcome to our weekly vaccine equity segment. Hey, Adi, did you get the flu shot yet? I did last week. What about you? No, I haven't yet, but I've been needing to because flu season is upon us. What was the experience like? It was good, actually. I managed to get it done on UNM campus. It was quick and easy, and I didn't feel any side effects or anything after. What about other vaccinations? It's super important to make sure you have those done, too. No, I haven't received any other vaccines. I know it's important, but I'm always so busy. You know, vaccinations aren't just for your safety. They keep your family and friends safe also. Make sure you're caught up on vaccinations for all viral illnesses. You're right. I'll set up my appointment right now. Thanks, Audie. Of course. 
I encourage the rest of our listeners to do the same and get vaccinated. Everyone, make sure you tune in next week for more vaccine equity. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of celebration and information. We'd like to thank our guests, Yetzali Reina Aguilar, Isabel Jurado Herrera, and Rusita Avila. Tonight's Hour of Radio was produced by Roberta Rayel and Barbara Ramirez, with production assistance from Sunidita Santan, and a thank you to our interviewers, Elijah Cage and Barbara Ramirez. As well as a thank you to our calendar host, Luis Arredondo. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcast, which is also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and follow our playlist on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the WK K-Log Foundation, with the additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, the New Mexico Department of Health, Infectious Disease Bureau, through the Better Together Coalition, as well as the McCune Foundation, Media Justice, the Santa Fe Community Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of a Nation by P.O.D. Our last song of the night is Survival by Bob Marley and the Wailers. A song about liberation to uplift your night. I'm Brad Lewis. And I'm Ariana Cordova. Coming up next on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Good night. The black survivors. The black survivors. Here we go. How can you be sitting there telling me that you care? That you care? When every time I look around, the people suffer in the suffering in every way. Black